Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we've got a ton of fantastic interviews for you to enjoy this week leading up to UFC 271, which features a main event between the champion at the middleweight division, Israel Adesanya, and the man who he uncrowned to become said champion, Robert Whitaker. Both of these individuals will join me on the show today. And in the co-main event, you've got Derek Lewis taking on Tai Tuivasa. Had the opportunity to speak to Derek Lewis, very candid, about what went wrong the last time he fought in his hometown of Houston, Texas, where he'll be competing in the co-main event against Tai Tuivasa on Saturday night. Also joining me on the show, Roxanne Mataferi, who has announced this will be her last go in the mixed martial arts world. Retirements, never necessarily a done deal, but... In this situation, this is her 50th fight unofficially. She uh, is counting her bouts on the Ultimate Fighter as part of that 50. But uh, really a true pioneer in mixed martial arts. People don't realize she started competing one year after George St. Pierre. Like, if you're going to call George St. Pierre a mixed martial arts pioneer, Roxanne Mataferi certainly gets that designation as well. So let's jump right into it. We'll start off with the two main event combatants, Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker, followed by Derek Lewis and Roxanne Modafferi. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy these interviews. Pleased to be joined now by the middleweight champion of the world, Israel Adesanya, who will be taking on Robert Whitaker at UFC 271 in Houston this weekend. Now, my first question for you, do you feel like the scariest thing about Robert Whitaker going into this fight is that he's kind of at peace with himself? Um, not the scariest thing, but I made note of it early on when I was doing press for this fight. I've said that I'm glad he's accepted um, what I was telling him in 2019, which was that you are acting out of character. Um, and he wasn't being true to himself. And this is free advice I gave him and he chose to spit on it. And yeah, he paid dearly for it. So I think kind of like... Um, I guess Alcoholics Anonymous, the first step is accepting that you're an alcoholic. So he's accepted that. And I said that makes him dangerous. But mm, he's saying all the right things, but I just don't really believe him. I don't, but it's not really, it's, it's him. It's him that has to believe his own shit. So yeah, uh, good on him. Now, I was on your YouTube page, and you were talking to a mysterious newcomer in the journalism world, Dave Blackamoto, who I, I'm hoping to meet one day. If you yeah. were. <laughs> it's pretty good. He's pretty good. He asked great questions. So you, he talked about your intro in the last uh, fight against Whitaker and how that kind of gave you something to think about making the fight a little bit secondary. What's going to be your primary thought during fight week that's going to make the fight secondary this time around since that formula was so successful the first time? Um, yeah, it, it, that was something I did in the first fight. Not really for that purpose, but it just had that effect that I was just, I was just so excited about the intro. I wasn't really worried about the work, the walkout, uh, sorry, the fight itself. Because I knew I had the fight in the bag, and I knew I'd, I'd done the work to be able to take this guy out. Um, this time, I know what it is, but I just can't tell you. I'm excited about something I'm really, 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 really looking forward to after this fight. But that's for me to know and y'all to mind your business. All right, I'll ask you about it after the fight. But what have you done in other fights after the Whitaker fight that you focused on during fight week that have kind of helped you take your mind off of the fight and made that your primary focus? Can you give me some other examples? Uh, you mean on the Whitaker fight week? 
Or no, like the, the subsequent fights that you've had since the Whitaker fight? Oh, um, ooh. Uh, it's hard to say. But I mean, I've already said, like, the last year was kind of boring when it came to fighting for me because I failed my side mission and also the Vittori fight was just kind of like meh because he was being super um, defensive. But yeah, uh, yeah, can't remember, to be honest. One thing you've talked about going into this fight is the different restrictions in New Zealand. And Malcolm Gordon was on this past weekend's card. He's from Ontario. And he tried to get, uh, and I, I guess, something from the government that would allow him to train because he's a professional athlete fighting for a professional organization on national television networks, pay-per-view, etc. Why do you think that it's taking so long for these different countries and municipalities to accept professional mixed martial arts as a sport? And meanwhile, they're having all of these team sports where people are in close quarters with one another competing in these different countries. You tell me. That's a really good question, Aaron. Um, I think it's just old heads. They're old and out of touch. They're out of touch with what's actually happening in the streets with the young generation. So they think, and I hate the term, they keep using traditional sports, especially in New Zealand, like, oh, you know, it's not a traditional sport. Tradition is what you make it. And they glorify, you know, 130 kg men running into each other, like battering ramps, causing car crashes with their heads. But then, you know, say that's tradition. And you should see the injuries and the brain damage that will cause a rugby. Um, but yeah, look at our sport and go, ooh, yuck. But uh, I think it's just, like I said, it's old heads who are out of touch. And they will die off soon. A lot of them will die off soon and the young generation will take over and actually, um, yeah, run things the way it should be run. And as a result of this, you're not planning on representing New Zealand, I guess, in the future or fighting in New Zealand? Nope. I am not fighting in New Zealand at all just because I fought there a lot of times. And when I told them, I was like, look, you guys should come enjoy us while we fight right now because you don't know yeah. where we're going to end up. But guess what? I did. I knew where I was going to end up. Um, but I just didn't know this, this was going to happen. I never knew I was going to take the stand. Um, so, yeah, nah. Uh, they can make that money through rugby, through cricket, through netball or whatever else. Just they'll never get millions and millions and tens and hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue from any of my fights. That can go to Australia. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. You know, it's kind of funny because 10 years ago, I was looking at this. The only champion outside of America or Brazil was George St. Pierre from Canada, of course. Australia and New Zealand weren't really on the map in terms of combat sports. But the way that yourself, Alexander Volkanovsky, and of course your opponent Robert Whitaker have put mixed martial arts on the map and made it a source of pride for your country, I think should be embraced rather than, like you said, kind of put off to the side. 100%. And I mean, you know, me and him are not, you know, the best of friends, me and Rob, but what he has done for... Um, Oceania mixed martial arts, but Australian mixed martial arts has been phenomenal, you know. His rise to the top from the uh, tough uh, series, yeah, national nations, um, tough nations, uh, to then becoming a middleweight champion must be applauded, you know. I, I was rooting for him. I was like, man, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, just, we're, we're all fighters. We're all dudes on the same kind of mission, just taking different roads. I'm just taking a different path myself. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, we should be hailed, you know, we should be hailed. A guy like, I, like I'm glad Alexander had the lat, the fight he had the, he had the last time because, uh, yeah, that fight put him on the map and let people know, cause he already beat Max Holloway twice. Right. So I don't know why people were still sleeping on him and you know, he's beating Jose Aldo, Chad Mendes. And I'm like, bro, you guys are sleeping on Alex. And I know Alex, man, I know he's a motherfucker. So the way he fought or take it last time and then escaped that guillotine, I felt like that. Kind of like the way the Gaslam fight was for me. That was his legendary moment, you know, one of his legendary moments. And that put him on the pedestal. So hopefully 
uh, Australia should should hail him as well as one of the greats, not just fighters, but great sporting athletes from that country. It's been great watching your reactions to the different fights that you're watching. But one really stuck out to me. It's probably one that uh, doesn't really stick out to a lot of people, but it was when you were watching Alex Pereira fight Andreas Mikhailidis in New York. I know you guys have some history. He's new to the UFC, but do you think that there's a chance that your paths are going to cross in the UFC? You, you called it to a, to a T exactly how he was about to finish his opponent, which I thought was remarkable. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Um, my coaches don't think so, but I hope so, because that's the argument story I like. You know, the guy that finished me in kickboxing, he comes to MMA to try to do the same thing, living off the same clout for the last 10 years or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, uh, I hope so. Um, and I, I just want to employ you journalists to do your research before you start like um, talking about that fight and taking too much stake in it. You need to look at the first fight and then look at what happened before the knockout in the second fight. Because I think a lot of you don't even realize that I hurt him and you don't realize why I didn't stay true to my style and didn't finish him in that fight. So, yeah, I implore you to actually do your research before you just watch the headlines or the, the highlight of the end. And, um, yeah, speak on it later on. But he, he's only had one fight in the UFC. Calm your tits. Like, yeah, let him do some work. Let him do some work first. He's a long way from seeing me. Yeah, I mean, also to be mentioned that Pereira of the last 10 years is one of the greatest kickboxers we've seen. Two-division champion in glory. And you're the first fight, like you said, extremely competitive. I think it was, what, a split decision or something along those lines? Yeah, I think the judges were a bit blind on that one. They were kind of like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, um, the second fight, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, don't give him too much sign. Right now we're worried about one person, and that's Robert Whitaker, the Reaper. Another thing I've seen you talk about is your mental health and how talking to a therapist has been extremely helpful for you. And that those with mental illness, of course, need therapists, but everybody will often, you know, they'll say that you don't need to go to a therapist unless you have mental illness or mental health that's issues like in particular. And I think it's been very good that you've been spreading that message. Yeah, that's like saying I don't need to go to a doctor. Like, it's the stupidest thing. You know, I, a doctor? Who goes to a fucking doctor? I just... Nah. I just tough it out. Like, it's the stupidest thing. Cause, and I, I don't even like the way people use the term. The way people use the term is stupid because they go, oh, you know, this guy has mental health. I'm like, do you, everyone has mental health. Like, everyone has physical health. But what you're trying to say is that guy's mentally ill. You know, that's all. He has a mental health illness. So people are kind of still new to the way they use the terminology. And I'm just like, no, if you don't look after your physical health, you're going to get physically ill. Just the same way if you don't look after your mental health, you're going to get mentally ill and then you're going to have to see a specialist or, you know, stay ill. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think people just need to like people are waking up to it. So it's good to see. And, yeah, I've been I'm a hipster to the party. I can't remember if this was after the Gaslam fight or the first Whitaker fight, but you talked about how you went and sat on a bench and you just wanted to kind of take it in. It was your last moment of kind of anonymity before uh, you became a champion. Um, this was after the... This wasn't after the Whitaker fight. This was after the Gaslam fight in Atlanta, I think. This was in Atlanta. Oh, I think it was in Atlanta. I just walked around um, the city, around the hotel, and just kind of, I wasn't, you know. Who's that? Sorry. Um, sorry, someone was just disturbing. There's a lot of people in this house. Um, but, yeah, um, I, yeah, I just sat down. This is in, even before my UFC debut. After my UFC debut in Perth, I... Um, I just sat there. I just sat there and I, I walked around the streets and I just um, soaked it in being unrecognized. But thank God for masks these days because I can kind of do the same thing and just uh, have a hat and a mask on and just, uh, yeah, stay anonymous like a ninja. 
One more thing I want to ask you about. You have a, a good friendship with the welterweight champion of the world, Kamaru Usman, and his manager was saying that if the price was right, he sees that fight potentially happening. Now, Kamaru hasn't said a word about this, and I, I believe that the idea is that both of you are representing Nigeria as champions in separate divisions, so why, why try to have one less Nigerian champion? But is that true, that if the price was right, you would consider that fight? Kamaru can speak for himself, and he has, and I've spoken for myself. We said we wouldn't fight each other. Um, this, for me personally, it's bigger than money. Also, I have nothing to gain. Like it's it's the guy coming up from the lower weight class that looks to challenge himself. That's the almost the protagonist of the story that gets to you know rise to the occasion, and that's cool. But Kamaru's not interested. Ali's just greedy. You know he sees dollar signs, but I'm like you, you can make that money elsewhere. But he's just super greedy and. Yeah, for me, it's bigger than money. You know, it's this is if I was gonna do this shit for money and retire, I would have retired three fights ago. I'm set, but now nah, it's bigger than money. It's just about legacy. It's about I like, I st- I'm still, I'm still looking to capture that image of me, Kamaru, and Francis as the three kings because we haven't done that yet together, and maybe even on the magazine cover of Time magazine or something crazy, Sports Illustrated. Um, yeah, so it's bigger than money. It's bi- it's bigger than that. Um, Excuse me. I understand what Kamaru says about competing, because yeah, we can do that. Like, come to the gym, you'll see me and Dan Hooker, me and Carlos Albert, me and Blood Diamond compete against each other. So me and Kamaru can do that. But for the world to see, um, it's 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 bigger than money. It's not it's not just about money. It's about it's about our nation taking gold back to where it belongs. All right, Israel. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Best of luck this weekend against Robert Whitaker, UFC 271 for the main event. Always appreciate your time. All good. Thanks, Aaron. The Reaper is back in action trying to get his UFC middleweight belt back against Israel Adesanya as the main event of UFC 271. So I noticed something today, Robert. I was looking at your stats. And since the bout against Israel, you've landed more takedowns than you had in the entirety of your UFC career prior to that. How much of a point of emphasis has that been in your training? Um, It's been a big point of emphasis because me me as a martial artist and, and my direction for my career is about trying to utilize my entire skill set. And, uh, you know, get closer to perfect with my craft. And that's what I've been trying to display in these last three fights is just trying to use more of my weapons to make my opponents uncomfortable. And do you kind of always have those weapons in your back pocket and you were just doing what was working? That's exactly it. I've, I've always been working my wrestling and my grappling. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at it as well. But I've just never needed to use it. So after that, uh, after the loss to Adesanya, I was like, and now's a better time than, than ever to, to, to bring those out. And Jacob Malkoon's been a big part of that, and I know he's on this card as well. Do you like having your training partners on the same card as you? Uh, yeah, no, it, it is good because you have someone to share the load with you. You have someone who's, who knows what you're going through and is feeling the same thing. <laughs> How big of a difference is it to have somebody who's actually in camp training with you versus somebody who's just there to help you get better? Yeah, massive. So... The, just just the mentality of it all. You see them struggling with the calorie loss and training as hard as you are as well. You see them going through the same emotions of the, the pressure and the highs and the rise and the lows. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it is. It, it really creates like a team environment of, of sharing that load. Now, I watched several interviews with you today. And I think a lot of people don't realize the difference between having an ego and being egotistical. You know, people were bringing up the fact that you let your ego get in the way. is something you said to yeah. Farah Noon of MMA Junkie. But there's a big difference between letting your ego get in the way of your success versus being egotistical. I don't think anybody would accuse you of being egotistical. But, but walk me through what exactly was the, I guess, hurdle for you to overcome 
that you couldn't overcome in that last fight against Israel? You know, it's exactly as you said, and I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people are getting them them two things confused. But uh, I guess the biggest thing is, like, from this fight to the first, is that I'll just let it all go. I um, you know, in finding myself and and, and understanding why I do things and and how I want to do things and and what drives me, I, I've just understood myself that much better. And going to this next fight, I you know, I'm happy going in there, and I'm happy. I know I'm going to be happy afterwards as well. Now, I don't want you to rank this upcoming fight because I, I feel like in the lead-up to a fight, you're always going to say that you're a 10. But if you look at your previous four fights, the, the Israel fight um, and, and the three that you had afterwards, uh, Darren Till, Cannoneer, and Gastelum, if you were to rank your mentality out of 10 going into those fights, if you were to take the distractions that you had at home or, or otherwise and, and the emotion going into that fight and grade it out of 10 for those last four fights, what would, what would it be? And how much better do you think you've gotten over time since that last fight? I guess that last championship yeah. fight, rather. Yeah, 10. Like, the mentality since the loss to Adesanya has just been top tier. You know, I've been enjoying the ride. I've been enjoying the journey. The, the, I haven't been dragging my feet, feet at the sessions. I've been in, enjoying the process of, of training, of getting to fight week, of being in fight week, and... and you know, going through the motions here of cutting the weight and enjoying myself post-fight. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm better than I ever have been, and I'm, I'm certainly happier than I ever have been. I heard you say that after the fight with Israel, you were thinking of walking away. Like, it, it had gotten to a point where you just really didn't like doing this anymore. What was the thing that, that turned you around, that made you start enjoying this and, and making it your, your craft that you embrace doing on a day-to-day basis? No, there's a lot of things that went into... into you know, me staying in the game and, and, and continuing fighting and, and wanting to do that. It, it was it was a natural organic process of me finding my, my way back to the sport. And uh, it was like a natural thing. It's what I want to do. I enjoy the craft. I enjoy the, the, the role I play in, in, in the, I guess, that modern-day gladiator sort of aspect. It's, it was just a very natural organic thing, you know. Um, I'm just glad I took the time out to, to truly you know, try and find myself then. You, you talk about the gladiator aspect of it all, but do you like having that mentality where you can switch from being a dad of, of four children and a husband to, to go into that kind of a, almost a character, a version of yourself that you're able to bring out? Yeah, uh, I guess I don't switch them off. You know, I, I, there's no switching them off. Even when I'm in the octagon, I'm still a dad. It's, uh, this is just what daddy does. You know, I'm, I'm, this is how I apply my trade and I'm pretty good at it. Do you think about your kids when you're fighting? Uh, no, <laughs> there's, there's barely, barely any room in there to, to think about the next breath. Um, it, once I'm in, in the octagon, I'm fighting. You know, all, all, all brain processes are going towards that. Has there anything ever been a time where you have been distracted in the octagon by anything? Uh, I, can't, I can't pinpoint anything because I'm in the moment. There, there, are, there are moments of clarities in fights where I, I remember like, thinking to myself, like getting these stray thoughts that weren't fight orientated, but I can't, you know, it, it's such a rush in there. It, it's, it's like, it's, it's almost like a fleeting dream. You know, I, after the fight, it's hard for me to remember, you know, the, and the longer since the fight is hard, it's hard for me to remember the exact sort of thought processes going through it. Does it feel like it's in slow motion? Like how long does a five minute round feel for you in real time? Ah, uh, mate, it, it absolutely flies by. You blink and it's over. It's uh it, well in saying that you're blinking this over because it's so fast paced and like I, I don't remember a lot of my fights, but then it, there's another point where during the fight 
when it all hits you, the pain and the tiredness and the exhaustion of the fight, especially fighting five rounds, it all hits you at once and you're like, wow, this is going forever. <laughs> is it just the adrenaline that makes you think that you don't remember what's going on after the fact? Like that you're just riding on, on such a high of adrenaline that those memories don't stick with you and you have to kind of go back and watch it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's just, it's just uh, adrenaline and and just instinct and muscle memory. It's, it's it, it happens very fast. Now you do broadcasting with Alexander Volkanovsky, and he once said something that's really stood out to me. He talked about how there was one day where he drove to the gym, and he just sat in his car, and thought about whether or not he wanted to go into the gym, whether he wanted to do it anymore. And he decided. I think it was that day he decided to go home and just decided not to not to train. And that was one of the, like, the biggest turning points of his career was when he decided to go back after that. Do you think that every great athlete kind of needs to have a moment like that and that that's kind of what happened to you after the Israel fight? I think it's more than just, uh, just athletes. I think we as people, you know, we're ever-changing, ever-evolving. And we reach these points where you know, we need to just sit back and reassess ourselves. We need to just have a good look at it, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and, and just you know, ask ourselves, are we happy? Are we happy with the way things are going? Israel's had a lot of cage time since your last fight. Has that been valuable to you to be able to look at different things, whether it's been his career growth or the things that have kind of challenged him along the way? Uh, yes and no. Like, it's one of those things. I, I'm one of those guys that don't, don't delve too deep into my opponent because I really do want to enact my game plan and make them feel uncomfortable. But it, it, it also it is a benefit in a way because I can see how he's changing, how he's evolving since the fight we've had last. So I can I can like better manipulate and, and adjust to the to the current Israel, if you will. How did you feel after those last three fights about your performance? Did you go back and watch it and, and think about things that you could have either done better or were you just happy overall with how they went because you, they were such dominant fights? Uh, yeah, happy, happy but never satisfied sort of thing. It's... Uh, you know, I was very happy to take the win and to, to get the win the ways, the, the ways that I did. But uh, I'm always looking to better myself. Like I said, my, my career goal is to make a living because this is my trade and this is what I do. But another aspiration of mine is always to get closer to that perfect, perfect mixed martial artist. And, uh, you know, every fight I can see ways of, of, you know, little things I can do better. I can get closer to that dream. And finally, you've been champion before, so you know what it means to, to win that championship, to get to the promised land. If you are able to do it again this time around, will it mean anything different to you this time? And I also recall you talking about how being a champion wasn't, I guess the, the obligations that go into being a champion weren't really something that you embraced. Is that something that you plan on embracing should you become the champion once again? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think who I am today is different than who I was then. So... Uh, you know, you're going to get a very different sort of um, outcome. But, but in saying that, my calendar only goes up until the 12th, up until that fight, up until I get locked in that octagon. That's, uh, that's as far as the calendar goes. That's as far as my dates go. And, you know, I'll, I'll worry about what comes after after. All right, Rob, always a pleasure speaking with you. Best of luck looking to recapture the middleweight championship of the world against Israel Adesanya. It's UFC 271 in Houston. And it's Saturday night. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you for having me. I'm pleased to be joined now by the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, who's in the co-main event in Houston at UFC 271 against Tai Tuivasa. I know last time out in Houston, you had a, a couple difficulties in terms of getting yourself mentally prepared uh, for the fight leading up to it. Why do you think that's not going to happen again this time around? 
Um, first of all, I didn't know I was co-main event, but thanks for letting me know that. Um, I believe it's not going to happen this go around because it's not fighting on that one Pacific day. Um, because that day right there meant a lot to me in my history of my life and all the stuff I've been through. You know, not going into too much detail, but that day right there was very nerve-wracking and, and changed my life anyways, even though I didn't get the outcome that I wanted. But like I uh, say, about 15 years ago, that day was still special to me. So you want to elaborate on that? Was that just a moment in your family's history? Um, no, it's the day I got out of prison. Okay, so that the last event was the, the anniversary of when you got out of prison. Wow, so did you talk about that at all before the fight? No. So no, I kept it to myself because I already know I didn't want to keep talking about it because there's already a lot of pressure on myself. So you had to overcome that hurdle as well. Why? Why did was that a hurdle for you in terms of that day being special for you? No, just because um, the worst of times to the best of times, you know, rising all the way to the top from the bottom. That's all. You could have made a great story. So did that kind of hit you when you were walking to the cage and kind of had um, you emotionally invested? It, it really hit me all week long anyways, um, even more that day. Wow, that's a pretty incredible story. So uh, the heavyweight championship is on the line. It's in your home city, and you have that all hanging over your head. Was that just a lot to overcome? It was too much. I was already choked up before I even walked out there. It was like too much, way too much. I figured it had to be something because previously when you fought in your home state, you've been very successful. I don't think you've lost in the state of Texas before that night. I haven't. I haven't. That was the first. So then in, ta- in terms of taking this fight with Tai Tuivasa, there were just no hesitations for you? I, it didn't matter who it was. Um, I just knew I didn't want to be a three-round, um, five-round fight. So it's going to be a three-round. So I like it like that. So, of course, no hesitation. So do you feel this time around you're going to be actually more hyped up because you're back in your home city? You're not going to have that hanging over you? There's just a lot less pressure? Oh, way a lot less pressure. But all the pressure I have now is that my kids going to finally see me <laughs> fight for the first time in their life live. Um, they'll be in the stands for the first time. Why'd you make that decision to do that now? Um, I didn't make it. They made it. <laughs> <because> they, first, <laughs> they wanted to come on and and see their dad fighting. So I was like, okay. They At first, they never wanted to see it. And so they wanted to make the decision and watch me fight. So I said, okay, come on and watch it then. This is a good one for them to watch. So you're kind of separating fight week from family time, I guess, during the week. You've talked to me in the past about how you don't like to have your family around you that much during fight week. You like to just go to the hotel and act like you're in a different city. Oh, for sure. Um, but I just wanted to things to be different, you know, just go out and try to experience something different. You know, you know I'm getting older and I'm just getting up in my career. I just want to just see, try some things out now. You know, I tried everything else and just want to try something different for this time going. In your last fight against Chris Dawkins, I think he was the favorite in that fight. Did you feel like a lot of people had written you off and it was another one of those situations where they thought that maybe you were done and there was an up-and-comer that was coming to take your place? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. I don't understand. You know, um, the guys I lost to are pretty elite type of guys. You know, um, I haven't lost to no bums yet, so knock on wood. But um, I don't know. I guess 
they always do that to me. They've been doing that to me my whole career, and so I appreciate them doing that. But it really don't matter. When you say you haven't lost to the elite, where do you classify Tai Tuivasa? Like, where do you put him in the pecking order of heavyweights? Oh, I believe he's up there. You know, all the guys in the UFC, I believe, are pretty tough guys, and they elite in their own way. So I believe I don't take nothing against him, nothing away from him. Um, I believe that he's a tough opponent. You and him are both fan favorites. Do you expect it to be kind of a lighter fight week for that reason? You guys are going to be lighthearted doing fun interviews and things like that? Oh, no. this is Actually, I got one more interview, and this is it for the week. I ain't been hearing nothing from me. I already told them I ain't doing no more interviews after today. So, yeah, it'll be a fun week for him, I guess. Well, I'm glad I'm one of the chosen ones. But I'm guessing you're going to do media availabilities and, and all that, like the, the press conference and, and things of that nature? Uh, I'll probably do that. But other than that, no. And I'm sure every interview is asking about shoeys and how interested you are in, in doing a shoey after the fight with Tai Tuivasa. I'm guessing uh, uh, that's not up your alley? No, I'm American. and We don't do all that over there. Well, would no. you consider doing it, making a bet with him? Maybe like if, if he wins, you'll do the shoey, and then if you wins, he'll have, to, he'll have to do some sort of weird American tradition? No, I'm already planning on eating ass after the fight, so I don't got to drink beer out of shoe. No, I'm all right. Well, do you consider that to be an American tradition? Of course. Eating ass is American tradition. Of course. How do you think a lot of presidents became president? You'll have to inform me. I'm from Canada, right? So if this is part of American <laughs> oh, history, yeah, I didn't learn it in school. Yeah, that's the reason why. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot you got to go through. Whenever you try to get your um, U.S. visa, they'll let you know all that. Okay. All right. Well, maybe, I'll, maybe I'm staying in Canada. I don't know. They didn't teach this in our public school system. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all missing out, man. <laughs> you gotta keep your eyes closed, though. If not, you get pink eye like that. <laughs> well, we just have Canadian history. I know you fought in Canada once. Uh, did yeah. you did you try out any of our Canadian food, poutine or anything like that? Um, I tried some stuff. It was just too cold to really leave the hotel. It was snow. Yeah, had a snow blizzard that day, that week. Yeah, that was the event. I think it was in New Brunswick, and it was you guys were completely snowed in. In Fairfax. Halifax. Yeah. Halifax. Yeah. Fairfax is in Virginia. I've seen, I know some American history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you end up watching the heavyweight championship bout uh, between Francis and Gannon? No, and I didn't. Not at all. I didn't want to give Francis none of my money. None of my money. For anything, I, I tried to stream it, but I ain't, I ain't paid for no pay-per-view. Well, were you successful in seeing it at some point in time? No, I've seen the highlights. That's about it. Um, what the little that they had on Twitter, they really had too much highlights. I don't know why. Did they surprise? Did it surprise you to see Francis kind of defer to his wrestling in that fight? No, I don't know. I don't didn't care. And Tai Tuivasa, are you expecting anything to happen on the ground in this fight, or do you think it's just going to be stand up for the duration of the fight? You never know. I don't know. I'll be prepared for anything, you know, like always. No matter where the fight goes, what's his game plan, I don't care. I'm just going there and fight the way I fight. All right, Derek. Well, I always learn something new whenever I speak to you, a little piece of American history. Uh, thank you for your time. Always appreciate it. And it's the co-main event of UFC 271 yourself versus Tai Tuivasa. Look forward to uh, speaking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm pleased to be joined by one of the pioneers of mixed martial arts, 
Roxanne Modafferi. You know, you started your career about one year after George St. Pierre. So if we're going to call him a pioneer of mar mixed martial arts, why are you know why everybody's calling you a pioneer of women's mixed martial arts? I'm going to go with mixed martial arts as a whole. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, it's nice to have you. You're on a bit of a farewell tour. You've announced that this is going to be your last mixed martial arts fight. It's your 50th, unofficially 50th mixed martial arts bout. Why did you decide now is the time? Uh, there are uh, many, many reasons. Um, a couple being that uh, I, I started getting headaches when I was sparring, and I just want to make sure I take care of my brain health. So I'm wearing headgear now, so I had a really good camp uh, with that. But coming going forward, like I don't want to take any chances with that. So that was one reason. Uh, another reason is now I'm engaged to be married, and I would like to start a family. So there's that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw your, your future husband's proposal, so I, I imagine he was hoping to propose to you after a win, but he proposed to you after an illegal knee, which was very yeah. MMA, but also very romantic, and it was nice to see. Yes, indeed. Um, I was quite surprised. I knew he was going to propose sometime, and um, it was unfortunate about the knee, but that certainly caught me off guard. One second I was like trying to see what was going on, if I needed to support him, and the next second he was down on one knee with, with a ring. <laughs> Well, you and him have something in common. You guys don't turn down fights. He was fighting uh, Asa Tenpao, who was one of the fiercest strikers, I believe, in, in America right now. Uh, but I think that it's awesome that he proposed to you. How did you guys meet? Tell me a little bit about your background with Chris. Yeah, um, we met at the gym. I complimented him on his Star Wars t-shirt, and um, we never really chatted too much. Um, I think he might have been shy to talk to me, and I was just so focused on MMA that I was blind to anything else. Um, and then he stopped coming to the gym, uh, because he got a day job and then a few years later uh, I was like man like I do want to start dating so I went on a dating app called Bumble and uh, when I was scrolling through people his picture came up and I was like I know this guy I think I think he's my teammate so I looked at him on Instagram asked where he was and um, then he asked me I was like so you want to go out for dinner like, yes <laughs> <laughs> so it was cool we have that in common he's a big jiu-jitsu guy um, it's really fun to train with him. I like it. Well, you said you, you wanted to start dating. During your, you, your MMA career, was that something that you were so laser-focused on that you didn't really have much of a personal life? Kind of, yeah. Like, I, I always heard the quotes like, don't look, you will find whoever. I'm like, all right, well, I'm not looking, and I'm not finding whoever. Uh, <laughs> so then my dad actually encouraged me. He said, you got to, like, fish. You know, you got to start, you know, putting yourself out there and, and you know, try to find somebody and I was like man where am I going to find somebody in a gym with younger people than me and like I don't know it was very discouraging so one of my friends Kelly met her boyfriend on Bumble and I heard another good story about Bumble so I'm like alright let's try this Bumble thing you know? well I'm glad it's worked out for you you're uh, facing Casey O'Neill uh, you've actually defeated fighters from four different decades the 70s, 80s, 90s and, and the 2000s so that's a pretty <laughs> impressive feat for you as well as you head into retirement but tell me about Casey and what she brings to the table um, she's, you know, she's young, but that doesn't matter. She's strong. She has good technique. Uh, it's going to be a good fight. I'm just so excited. I think we both have, like, a kind of everywhere style, you know, where we both will strike, we'll both go for takedowns, we'll both do jiu-jitsu, like, we're both dangerous, so I, I'm hoping it's going to be a glorious battle. This is a very retirement-focused question, and I'm not sure if you've heard it yet or had the time to think about it, but what do you want your legacy to be? When people say the name Roxanne Modafferi, what do you want people to think? Uh, I want people to remember me as a martial artist and someone who doesn't always win but always fights. Like, I never turn down a fight. Um, I'll fight whoever. I'm just excited 
to be able to fight and get stronger. And um, yeah, just I've always in my whole career I've been training to get stronger and stronger. And I just want to be remembered as someone who never gave up and is true to herself and does her best. Do you think that your career has been so long because? of how you've measured success differently from other people. It seems like for you, winning was always important, but it was never really as important as the journey itself. I think so in hindsight, probably, but I actually really want to win. And it's been really hard when I take losses, like almost depressively, depressingly hard. Like, I don't know how much more I can take of that. Um, I just get so depressed when I lose because I put my whole heart and soul on the line there. I think, um, I might take a little time off from competing after this fight. Um, I've just been feeling like pressure lately. Um, I forgot your original question. <laughs> um, oh, so no, um, I do want to win very much. Um, I, I forgot your original <laughs> Well, really, is it the journey that was more important to you? I know winning, everybody wants to win and everybody wants to okay. show that they've seen yeah. improvement, but it seems like for you, the journey was, was always more important than wins and losses. Uh, the quest to get stronger and attain knowledge is my journey, and I really focused on that. So, like, when I was on my massive five-fight five losing streak, um, I was, like, considering retiring because if I can't win, then what's the point? And then I thought, no, I still have more, like, I can sense that I had more potential inside me. Um, so that's why I wanted to keep going. And now, like, I don't, I don't feel like... If I keep going, I'll be able to hang with all these young whippersnappers coming up, you know. Um, but, I mean, that was just one of the many reasons I'm deciding to retire. Um, but right now I feel strong. I've, I've trained all the techniques. I'm the best that I have ever been, you know, um, shape. I'm excited and ready and motivated. And, yeah. Sean Alshadi, who's a master of, of his craft in terms of writing long-form pieces, he wrote a, a piece about you. Did you know that this piece was going to come out? I didn't. I was so excited. I, some, uh, Ariel Halani actually re, re, uh, tweeted it on Twitter, so I saw it. Um, I was so touching. Like I love that piece. It was so cool that he interviewed the fighters and the promoters, and I didn't know some of the stuff. Like I didn't know how Marlou felt about me, and I totally forgot the time where I went over to Tara in our fight. I was like, you better not be going easy. And I, I forgot I did that, but it's totally like me. I, I know I would have. Um, yeah, it was so cool. Thank you for doing that. Well, the one thing that really, well, thank, don't thank me. I'm not. I, I can't write as well as Sean Alshadi, although I hope to one oh, day. Uh, <laughs> but one thing uh, that stood out to me about it was uh, a story that Shayna Baszler told, where after she had defeated you, she heard you, I guess, in the locker room, being very upset about the loss. Like you mentioned to me earlier, that you know, losing obviously is nothing that you enjoy and is something that can really take bring you down. But that the next day you took her around Japan and showed her the sights and, and took her to all these different stores that you liked. I just thought that was a really great story and a great personification of, of who you are as both a martial artist and a person. Yeah, indeed, I agree. Um, you know, it's not her fault that I feel bad that I lost. And she's a cool person. We both love Star Wars. Um, so, I, you know, I wanted to meet up with her and show her around. And that would make me feel good, too. Just a lot of positive energy would be good. I heard in your media availability earlier, you're going to have a, a bit of a My Hero Academia spin. Now, I'm not a big anime uh, guy, but my son, who's 11, loves My Hero Academia. So I'm looking forward to showing him uh, this introduction that, that you have planned because he doesn't watch any mixed martial arts, but I'm sure he will, he will enjoy that. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, check out my weigh-ins. Hopefully I'll do a good job. I always get kind of nervous before my weigh-ins because I always try to do some kind of performance. Do you have a favorite one? 
Yes, I have a, a favorite way in, right? Yeah. Um, oh, man. So I have so many. Uh, in Invicta, I was Katana, and I got, I know she has the fans, right? Like the metal weapon fans. So I, I went to like a swap meet and I found a weapon store and I got these blue, like metal fans. What are the chances, right? Um, and I practiced, like, I practiced different routines. I practiced snapping them out and doing it. Like, I Googled, like, Chinese fan dance, and I practiced that. Um, it was really cool. I don't know if there's a video somewhere, but I practiced, like, doing a kick and snapping out the fans. So that was cool. Um, another one was when I was uh, doing Super Saiyan Goku Blue. Um, I, like, powered up, and then my coach put the blue hair on. And um, I was that was the UFC. Um, it was on a live stage, and the audience went crazy and it was so cool that they cheered for me like that um i got a lot of cheers and that made me so excited and also people from the audience started shouting blue blue and i knew that they understood dragon ball z so i like i was posing and i pointed to somebody on, in the audience and um somebody got a picture of that and that was like my favorite picture because it was really cool my favorite is the Red Ranger, but mostly because of your opponent, who just looked very unamused at the time, and you were doing all these moves, <laughs> and it was kind of an empty room. I, I just thought that the whole scene was fantastic. Yeah, that was great, yeah. So what are your I plans agree. for after retirement? Standing, oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, leading up to the Red Ranger, we were all standing in line to weigh in, and it, I had the mask on, and I couldn't see much, and it was hot. And my coach, John, had his, his White Ranger mask on, and he, like, couldn't breathe, so we were both, like hyperventilating and like can't see anything and my nose is all squished because it was like one of those face masks so and then finally I was so nervous and then finally we got to go on the stage but there was just a lot of like uncomfortable like fidgeting before that <laughs> that moment I like that coach Wood got into the spirit of that so are you are you hoping to stay in Las Vegas uh, after your career and make it your home yes yes and you plan on just continuing to teach at syndicate and and going about uh, your normal life minus the competition at least for now I know you want to do jujitsu tournaments down the road uh, no, my plan is not 100% set yet, but I'm going to change up my life a little bit. Cool. And you're not going to, I, I think somebody else asked you about this in a previous interview. You're not really going to talk about that just yet? I cannot reveal my future plans. <laughs> you may wonder, though. And should you get the win on Saturday, do you have kind of a grand celebration planned uh, of sorts? Um, Right now, I'm trying to figure out where my after party is going to be because I think restaurants are going to close in Houston. But yeah, I want to have like a little retirement party for myself at my house when I get home. All right, Roxy. Well, it's been a pleasure covering your career, uh, at least the, the amount of it that I've been able to cover. Uh, really appreciate you and what you bring to, to uh, Mixed Martial Arts as a whole. And uh, appreciate your time. Best of luck on Saturday. A huge thanks to Thank all you of very our much. guests, Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker, Derek Lewis, and Roxanne Modaferi, and to you, the listener, for tuning into this week in and week out. Always appreciate it. And hey, if you have time, you've got five minutes, probably less, two minutes. Please find the platform in which you get this wonderful podcast and give us a five-star review. Maybe write something nice about the show. It helps what the kids call SEO value in terms of boosting this show among the elite mixed martial arts podcasting properties that are out there. And uh, I consume these uh, MMA podcasts like a fiend. So I'm just happy to be part of this world and be able to provide this kind of content week in and week out for you. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with more interviews in the mixed martial arts space. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.